I want to open, ask you to open your Bibles with me to the Great Commission. The Great Commission, but not the Matthew 28 Great Commission. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Great Commission in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, and I'll be beginning in verse 19. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is actually a Great Commission in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. I know that the book of Acts uh, Commission and the book of Matthew Commission get the most attention, but this morning I want us to look at the Commission in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. And I like this commission because of its brevity and simplicity, and also with some of the the context surrounding why we should go, and we'll talk about that more later in the service. But John chapter 20, and I'll be beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, this the first day of the week, that is the Sunday after Jesus' crucifixion and the day of his resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, verse 21, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Simple, brief, clear. The great commission of the book of John, very simple, very brief, very clear. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending. In other words, it's ongoing, it's present, it's active. I am sending you. Brothers and sisters, there are two competing ideologies, there are two competing forms of Christianity in the world today. There is the Christianity of consumerism. The Christianity of consumerism. This ideological strain of of Christianity demands goods and services, just much as we demand goods and services in other areas of our life. I will only go to this church if they do this. I will only go to this church if they do this type of music. I will only go to this church if if he agrees with my political views or she agrees with my political views. I will only go to this church if they have the nicest restroom facilities, which by the way, Spencerville does. Um, I will only go to this church if they, whatever your thing is within within that context. Or as one lady in the community said to me when she was talking about her church and we were dialoguing about her church and I had not heard of her church before and I was asking her about why she liked it so much and I asked her to share with me and she said, well, I just love it. I said, well, why do you like your church? And she said, I love my preacher. So well, that's great. What do you love about your preacher? And she said, he is so funny. I said, good. What else? Well, he just makes me laugh. He tells jokes all the way through his sermon. It's just so great. Okay. What else do you like about your church? She goes, well, well man, everyone should come to my church because my church, she, said, she says to me truly, she said, my church, when I go, the music just makes me want to dance. Well, I don't you know, mind a little movement. I sway even to hymns, so I move to, to anything. But she obviously didn't know she was talking to an Adventist pastor. But she said, the music just makes me want to dance. And I said, anything else? And she looked at me blankly like, why would there be anything else? I laugh the whole time and I want to dance. Isn't that all there is to church? What else is there? The second form of Christianity, not necessarily a consumer form of Christianity, may include some of those things. A funny pastor may include music that, 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 that you, you are passionate about. But the second form of Christianity is a Christianity, though, that also embraces or primarily embraces the idea of sentness. Sentness as in S-E-N-T-N-E-S-S. 
The ideological strain of, this ideological strain of Christianity embraces the view that because Jesus was sent for humanity in life, in death, and even now in intercession, they are also, we are also to be sent out to humanity as well. Every church functions according to really one of these two ideological strains. The consumer-driven church oftentimes spends as much time selling themselves as they do selling Jesus. The premise of worship often in the consumer-driven church is more about making folk feel good and feeling happily entertained when they leave. This church's primary goal of worship is simply to get people to come back the next week. What's our goal in worship this week? Well, we just wanna make sure that they come back next week. That's our goal. The scent-driven church, on the other hand, seeks to sell Jesus even if at times in that selling there's a little bit of fence to the modern world and the modern culture. The premise of worship is to inspire people to, to be in awe of God and his authority in word and deed. That is why I would say that those of us that are here when we come to worship, we should wanna stay all the way through the postlude because sometimes that postlude is one of the most awe-inspiring moments within the entire service. But the premise of worship is to inspire people to be in awe of God and his authority in both word and in deed. The sent church's primary goal in worship is to get people to walk out of the doors different than when they came in the doors. The, 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 the purpose of, of their worship is that people will, will come in and be convicted to not just come back the next week, but to serve all week in preparation for the next week, to be challenged and stretched again, week in and week out. Not only is it churches, though, but really every Christian stands on one or the other of these two forms of Christianity. Two theological bases for, for making decisions, two postures that, that shape all we do, two ideas that, that form everything we do. The, the, the consumer Christian does what we often know of, what we often have heard of as, as church shopping. Now, we all do that in, in some context, but, but they shop around for a church, not that they can serve best in, not a church that they can, they can work best in, but a church that, that will fit and serve them the best. The consumer Christian shops for a church much like they shop for a new car, a new house, or a new cell phone plan. For the consumer Christian, church is more about convenience, and thus the result tends to be that attendance is based on convenience, service is optional, and giving it diminishes. Giving diminishes. The consumer Christian is, as C.S. Lewis described, kind of seeking the latest and greatest in his great book, Screwtape Letters. If you've never read that book, Screwtape Letters, I would encourage you to do so. But C.S. Lewis said it this way in that book, Screwtape Letters. If a man can't be cured from church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. Kind of like a food critic. C.S. Lewis says the best thing we can do, if we can't get him to stop going to church, just send him to all kinds of churches around so they're just shopping, shopping, shopping until they're just a critic of everywhere they go. Well, I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. The sent Christian, on the other hand, shops for a church that will give them the greatest opportunity to have an impact for the kingdom of God. Where can I go in which I will have the greatest opportunity 
for the kingdom of God. The sent Christian shops for a church not where they can slip in and, and slip out, but where they can be known and accountable to other believers. They're not frustrated with the fact that, that people know their names out in the parking lot or that people are greeting them when they walk through the doors. They're not frustrated with the fact that people are, are saying hi to them. They're like, I just want to be alone. No, the, the sent Christian likes to be in a place where they can be accountable to other believers. The sent Christian sees church as a forum to be refreshed and trained in preparation for their service throughout the week. Therefore, church is a priority. Service is not if, but when and where and how. And giving begins to grow. One of these ideologies, obviously, is biblical, and one of them is not. I want to look at a story in which we see a picture of consumer Christianity or consumer uh, religion, and that's found in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17, Judges chapter 17 and verse 18, or Judges chapter 17 and, and chapter 18, sorry, the book of Judges. I'll begin Judges chapter 17 and verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. It's not Micah to be confused with Micah the prophet. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, said blessed be my son by the Lord. I'm assuming she's happy, that not that he took the silver, but that he confessed that he took the silver. So she's happy with his confession. She said, I dedicate the silver uh, to the Lord from, the hand, from my hand for my son to make a carved and metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. Verse four. So when he restored the money, the son restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved and metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. So here's the picture. Son steals money from his mom. He tells his mom he stole the money. His mom says, praise the Lord, you confessed. I'm gonna do something to honor God. I'm going to make us an idol. There's a lot of people that do a lot of things in the name of worship, in the name of, of, of their experience that they think is truly honoring God, but it is not in fact. I'm gonna make this idol. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and he ordained one of his sons who became his priest. He said, here, I'm gonna put this, this idol in my house and oh man, I'm gonna decorate things up now. I'm gonna kind of make my own little church. Well, what does a church need? We need a pastor. Who can be a pastor? Oh, I'll make one of my sons a pastor. You be the pastor. I'm ordaining you as the pastor. In those days, there was no king. The verse is verse six. Listen to this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And then this is the key line in the book of Judges. It appears several times throughout. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Folks, that is the epitome, that is the definition of consumer Christianity. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Not based on what the Lord says, not based on what the scriptures teach, but they do what is right in their own eyes. Now the story continues. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, 
of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. Now we know what about the Levites. The Levites were the priests of Israel. They were the pastors of Israel. So here's this young man, this Levite, and he's sojourning there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah. This is the Levite. To sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah. And I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me. And be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. He had a priest before his own son, but he said, You know what? This is better to have an actual Levite as my, my priest, so I'm going to get rid of that one. I'm going to get this one and keep, keep this pastor. And basically, we have a picture here of this man, Micah, who's created this entire religion out of what he wants, out of what he cares about. He has this idol that's made, and then he decorated around the idol. He has a priest. Oh, I don't like that priest. I'm going to get a new priest. I'm going to get a new one. And he makes this other one a new priest. And he, and he assumes, the Bible says, he says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. In other words, now that I've sorted all things out for myself, I know that the Lord will prosper me. Well, the story continues on in Judges chapter 18. There was a group that came from uh, the tribe of Dan, the Danites. And they were seeking an inheritance and they were seeking a place to dwell. And they come upon this place and they find uh, Micah's house and they find the, the Levite there serving as the priest in the house. And they asked him, what is going on? And the priest said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. He has hired me and I have become his priest. They ask the priest for a blessing in their battles, in their journey. And he blesses them and they go on their way. And they have victory in their battles and they think, man, this is a pretty good deal. So they go back to this town and they go into this house of Micah and they steal the idol. They take the idol and the, the, the gods from Micah's house. And the priest asks them, the priest says to them, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is in verse 18. What are you doing? And the Danite said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be the priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He realized, you know what? This is a better option. You know, this was okay, but now I got a bigger church. I got a bigger place. They got more opportunities. I'm gonna go with them. That's a better option. That is what I'm going to do. His heart was glad. And so he said, yeah, let's steal from this guy and let's move on our way. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. And so they turned and they departed from this place. Well, Micah discovered what had happened. And so Micah and some of his followers go out to challenge the Danites to say, what is going on? And they begin to yell and shout at the Danites. And the Danites respond in verse 23 of chapter 18. What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And here's what Micah says. You take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And what have I left? What a sad Sad question, but it shows the reality of consumer religion. It shows the reality of consumer religion. He said, you took the idols that I made, you took the priest that I set up, 
It's all gone. So what do I have left? I have nothing left. Folks, this is like, this is like a church that says, you know what? I attended that church. I love that pastor. Now that pastor is gone. What do I have left? You know, there's this new pastor who came in or she came in. They made some changes. I'm not really quite sure about these changes. This, this isn't really church anymore. What do, what do I have left? We planted a church out in California, as you know, I've talked about before, the Art Community Church, and we had church at 4.30 in the afternoon. And you know who had the most issue with having church at 4.30 in the afternoon? Adventists. Adventists that would come to our church, they said, well, you know, we really like this church, but we don't know if we can come here. Why, can you really have church at 4.30 in the afternoon? Well, yeah, you can, look, we're doing it. Well, I know, but it's not at 11. Or, well, you guys, we've, we've made some variances now. You can do a 10.45 to 11.30 and we're okay. That's still officially church within our denomination. But some people just like couldn't, they said, is it really church if it's not 11 o'clock, right? That's consumer religion. Is it really church if, if they've made some changes, if they shorten the service? Is it really church if they change the music a little bit? Is it really church if they, if they have all these people like saying hello to you in the parking lot? It's not my church anymore. That's consumer religion. That's consumer religion. The guy says to him, he said, you took my ephod, you took my images, you took my priests, what do I have left? Folks, if they took all of this away from us, our beautiful choir, we love you, and we wanna see every seat filled, and I'm gonna talk about that actually next week, so I hope you'll be here. See every seat filled in the choir, we love, we love I mean, I love our stained glass windows, I, I mean, I love it all, I love the beauty of this. When I first time I came here with Greg back then, I listened to Pastor Lutz and I enjoyed his sermon, but man, I was looking outside. I was like, what a beautiful vision it is out there. And I don't know how any of you that sit on that side ever listen to anything that I say when it's a beautiful day like this. It's so wonderful out there. But if they took all of this away, would we say, oh man, what have you left me with? I have no church. I have nothing. If even a part of us would say that, that's consumer religion. That's consumer religion. And that's what we see here in the book of Judges. The story of Judges 17 and 18 is the story, actually, of modern Christianity. The Bible doesn't describe it as consumer religion, but it still is the picture of today, a religion that can be bought, manufactured, traded, updated, moved, as we please. In the Bible, it is not seen, though, as consumerism or is not referred to as consumerism. It's actually referred to in the second commandment as idolatry, as idolatry. And it's described perfectly in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6 and also other places in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. When our Christian experience becomes solely about what we have created or what someone has created for us that is purely about our liking and our desires, we no longer have a king, we no longer have the king of kings when that takes place. We are simply doing what is right in our own eyes. We are consumer Christians, we are idol worshipers. The previous five sermons I, I preached to this one were to remind us that we, while we are not all evangelists, we are all sent out in some way. We are all sent forward in some way. And if we want to be true Christians, biblical Christians, then we must embrace our 
sentness. We must embrace that all of us have a role and a service to play. You see, y'all, we are designed for more than consumer Christianity. We are destined for more. We are called to be the very hands and the feet of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, even so I am sending you. Just as Judges chapter 17 and 18 seems to model for us what oftentimes is modern Christianity has turned into, simply about the trappings and, 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 the, and the pastor. My prayer is that our church, this church, will not be full of consumers only here to hear certain music, only here because they have the best children's classes, only here because you get a discount for Spencerville Adventist Academy. Pause for just a minute to let that sink in. Only here because there's a preacher that may make you laugh once in a while. Only here because it's bigger and so that means there's a little bit more convenience and anonymity. That is Judges chapter 17 and 18, idolatry. That's what that is. That's what that is. I pray that what we talked about the last five weeks is not simply I hear it, I leave, okay, there were some funny stories in the midst of that. But truly, it's changing our hearts and we're saying we are called to be missionaries, to live missional lives, to go out and to bless, to eat with those we don't know, to eat even with our own family, to listen more to the Holy Spirit, to, to learn of Jesus on a regular basis so that, so that as we learn of him and people ask us questions, they'll say, they have been with Jesus. That Christianity is encompassed in our scripture today that was read by Oscar. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse nine, one of my favorite texts from when I was a brand new Christian. And, and the, the context of the text is within the, within the, within the, the, the compass of, of, of persecution. But the passion of the text should be with all people that have truly fallen in love with Jesus Christ. The passion of the text should be with all people that have truly fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse nine, not Jeremiah 29. No, that's one often people go to, but Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse nine, in which Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet, he came to a place, he was being so persecuted, so abused, he just saying, man, I don't know if I can say anything else about Jesus or anything else about God in my life. I don't know if I can proclaim anything else to these people. I'm so tired of being in the stocks, being in a pit. I'm so tired of being whipped and beaten and spit upon and, and mocked and ridiculed. I'm so tired of it. I don't know if I can say anything. Maybe I'll just become a follower that sits in the pew and says nothing. And then he says, wait a second. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It says like a fire that's shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can not. Indeed, I cannot. Is that the passion of what God has called you to? Is that the passion in your heart? The fire, the, the fire of the calling that burned in Jeremiah's was so hot that even though he was facing all kinds of issues, he could not be satisfied just being an everyday sit-in-the-pew type of follower. He couldn't do it. He was compelled by the fire of his sentness. God called him. He was sent. He struggled, but he chose to embrace his sentness. If I say I will not mention him, or speak any more in his name. His word burns in my heart like a fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
Is that the reality, the passion of your heart? Is that, does that stir you from week to week? Not to get up on Sabbath morning and walk into this building. Does that stir you from week to week to be a sent Christian? Jesus, in our opening text today in John chapter 20, I believe Jesus gives us the framework and where we actually discover this passion, where we discover this passion. And it also connects us to somewhat what we talked about last week. Again, back to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. Jesus here before the disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They didn't realize Jesus had come back to life. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side Then the disciples, the Bible says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now understand the framework of of what comes next. What comes next is Jesus saying, now I'm sending you. Now I'm gonna send you out. But, 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 But what is built into that is, is this recognition in that moment of what Jesus has done for the disciples. He shows them in a tangible, in a practical way Look at my hands that have been pierced for you. Look at my my side that has been pierced for you. Look at me that I'm now resurrected. Just as I promised, I, I am resurrected. Death cannot overcome. Everything I told you is true. Everything I told you is real. Peace I give to you in this moment. And the Bible tells us that the disciples, when they saw Jesus, the disciples, when they realized it was Jesus, the disciples, when they realized that, 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 the death, that death could not overcome Jesus, the disciples, when they realized that they truly were following a living Savior, the disciples, the Bible tells us, were glad. They were glad. And then in the context of that, Jesus says, just as God sent me, I'm now sending you. In other words, what he's saying is if you appreciate, if you realize what I've done for you, if your heart is truly glad, then the response to that, the proper response to that is to receive my sending, to embrace your sentness. Brothers and sisters, I believe by seeing Jesus and his sacrifice and the great gift of love and mercy that he has for us, that by having more and more and more and more of Jesus, like we talked about last week, a thoughtful hour every day, learning more and more about Jesus. The more we focus on Jesus, the more we embrace Jesus, the more we will embrace our sentness, the more we will embrace being missionaries for the King. See, I believe that when we truly experience Jesus, the only true response and the greatest evidence that you, that we have embraced the reality of Jesus' death for us is that we will also embrace his calling to be sent into the world. To all who see the death of Jesus as the greatest gift, as it truly is, their Christianity will be a sent Christianity 
Not a consumer Christianity. Not a consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is simply idol worship and the denial of Jesus' sacrifice. What is your religion? Is it this? Is it something else? Is it a preacher you like? Chad's preaching this week, I'm gonna go. So-and-so's preaching over here, he's much better than Chad, I'm gonna go. Which is okay. The music here this week, the music there this week, the music here. I get the best deal on school here, here. What is the basis of your religion? If the basis of our religion is anything except for Jesus, then it's just consumerism and idol worship. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help me, help us to embrace our sentness. Let no one return to church next week just to sit, but may we leave here sent out by you. Help us not to return next week satisfied with our whole Christian experience being simply sitting in a pew from week to week. Help us no longer be satisfied with with being defined as an active member by, by simply that we show up once a month. Help us no longer to be satisfied with consumer Christianity, a Christianity that ultimately will leave us like Micah. What have you left me with? I have nothing. But Lord Jesus, may our Christianity be you. May it be your life, your death, your resurrection, your intercession. May our Christianity be about the burning passion in our hearts for you so that when we come here once a week, we leave here motivated to serve you, Jesus. And we come back not to just sit, but we come back to learn more about how we can better serve you in this world. I thank you, Jesus, for all those who are missionaries in this church, for those that may yet have embraced that mission. I pray you'll speak to their hearts even right now. Convict them. Let us no longer just be sitting Christians, but let us be sent Christians as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.